Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast about Deep Space Nine from the makers of the Greatest Discovery. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> I'm Adam Franica. I'm Ben Harrison. We are primarily known for the Greatest Discovery. Yeah. One thing about the uh, the Max Fun Drive that I guess will be kind of distant memory as uh, as this is released, but as just ending as we are recording it is that I, I get to hear from people about how they found our shows and uh, like I've, I've heard from several people like oh yeah like found your show the greatest discovery when discovery started and now I listen to all three of your shows and I love them that's insane to me <laughs> I love it I, I, I can't <laughs> believe that somebody would listen to greatest discovery and go I want to hear more of this <laughs> I was on the Greatest Gen Reddit not too long ago where I found a post that was like, uh, I came here for the Star Trek ship posting. Are you saying that there's a podcast called The Greatest Generation <laughs> that I need to listen to? And this person was sincere. Yeah. They had not known about the podcast. They learned of it through the Reddit. <laughs> and uh, and now they're a subscriber, I'm going to assume. So hello, hello. out there, new listener. <laughs> Uh, speaking of shit posting, Adam, I can't help but notice that you are you are on the video chat shirtless. Your hair looks like it's maybe a little bit wet. I just got out of the pool. Uh, are your headphones going to be okay? Ben, this is only the second time I've been shirtless for a show with you. Uh, can you remember the first time? Was that a Let's Drink About It episode? It was the tub episode. The tub episode. You were pantsless, too. We were both pantsless. Both of us, uh, both of us in the nude. This time, uh, I'm on holiday with my lovely wife, uh, who is currently not very happy with me uh, <laughs> doing work uh, while we're supposed to be relaxing to the extent that we can. Yeah. Uh, so, so I went and I, I jumped into the pool real fast. Nice. With her, and uh, and now I'm here with you, shirtless. Shirtless and wet. I and our listeners, thank you for straining your marriage to, to be here to talk about Star Trek with me today. I was texting you the other night that I, uh, I've i got some busy weeks coming up and I, I'm going to need to take a couple weeks off of work. And it's like, it's a weird thing since our work is what it is, but we've never really talked about like our company policy about like time off or anything like that. And... I think we try to like do our best to be cool bosses to each other, and so you were like very, uh, very generous in accommodating that. But I was also, it was also like, hey, I'm gonna take uh, two weeks off work, but obviously not recording the shows, just the editing part. <laughs> right. Yeah. And well, on the one hand, you and I are are great and permissive bosses. I think we're terrible employees because we. <laughs> have planned for years to build out an editing runway that would allow the sort of thing like, you know, a vacation <laughs> <laughs> that that I think uh, is good for for a person's mental health. Yeah. That has been a struggle for years. We can't seem to get out in front of this show the way we should. And also a, another example of us being terrible employees is that you showed up for work today half drunk and shirtless. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point. Ben, we're doing an unscheduled Quark's Bar episode today. We're dropping a surprise on the viewers. <laughs> was the last episode of Quark's Bar also? I think it was. Two in a row. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not drinking to get drunk. This is not distribution, this is consumption. Because I uh, I have plans later, so I can't be completely smashy. Now look at you and your plans. Uh, I plan to go back out in the pool as soon as this is over, uh, and I am drinking a massive tequila soda. Nice. During. That's the official drink That's of it. Greatest Gen. You know what it is. Uh, three quarters tequila, one quarter club soda, squeeze a lime, uh, just the way you and I like it. <laughs> I call that the Nick Weiger. <laughs> uh, I'm just having a margarita. That's it. I uh, I made a terrible mistake last night, Ben, I got to tell you about, which is, uh, you know, day one, 
day one on any vacation. You want to go hard, but you don't want to go so hard as to ruin day two. Oh, yeah. I had uh, some friends on my bachelor party go so hard as to ruin the bachelor party for themselves on on (laughs) night one. (laughs) You don't want to fuck your whole vacation up. Uh, and what I did was I just made a drink that was way too big for night one for the <laughs> both of us, and it just totally Mount smash both me and my wife. Like, hardcore. Like, you know when you make a drink that's so strong and so big, it doesn't even allow for buffer water? Because it's like, it's your job to take that thing down. And it's happening so fast, you can't get out ahead of it. That's yeah, what happened. We wow. couldn't get ahead of it. There was no amount of dilution... <laughs> No amount of Brode could knock down the hangover, and that, that I know you know, is a rarity to run into, because uh, Brode works 99% of the time. Brode, Brode, Brode does a lot of heavy lifting around here. You reminded me, I need, to, I need to Brode up right now. Uh, as with all Quarks Bar episodes, our uncompensated endorsement uh, comes from the Brode family of electrolyte vitamins. <laughs> It's, it's a pretty small family of one kind of electrolyte vitamin that they sell. Yeah. <laughs> Ado, do you want to, uh, now that we've uh, begun lubricating ourselves, crack into another episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Yeah, you don't mind that I'm shirtless, do you? No, uh, the camera fortunately cuts off just above the nipple, so it's not as distracting as it could be. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> How about that? Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> they're, uh, they're so tiny, they're like four pixels each. <laughs> it's season seven, episode three, After Image. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Getting to know Esri, getting to know all about her... <laughs> is Morn, the big talker of the station. Yeah. I feel like she's sort of visiting the scene of several crimes here at this spot with Morn. A lot of uh, a lot of people jump off this spot of the promenade. A lot of, like, Jake possessed by a paw wraith has happened here. But also just a lot of yeah. Jake and Nog, like, giving unwelcome leers to the female occupants of the station. You know what's interesting about humanity in the 24th century is that they don't do that thing where they put a shrine by the side of the road at the site of the car crash. <laughs> yeah, there's no uh, there's no spray-painted white bicycle chained up to the promenade here. <laughs> where are the Mylar balloons inside the Bajoran shrine? Yeah. Where's, where are the, the pictures and the candles? It seems like that would be a thing, but it's really not. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the disconnect that is happening all over with the crew between the crew and and Esri Dax. This is an, an episode a lot about what we hoped it would be about, I think, of a, a group of people that are trying to grapple with the death of a beloved coworker and friend and also the continued existence of that beloved coworker and friend to a weird extent. You've had a great party hanging out with them and they just won't leave. <laughs> <laughs> Ezri in the Bajoran Temple is a a very intense combination because it's like it's like she's she's where she was killed, you know, and her presence there when Kira walks in is a very unpleasant reminder of that fact. What are you doing here? I was killed here. Yeah, I mean, people who have been through traumatic situations and survive them often have terrible feelings about those locations, and this is a scene emblematic of that. Yeah, totally. And Kira, to her credit, like, holds it together. She's not, like, shitty to Esri about this, but uh, she's also frank with her her emotions about what's what's happening in this, in this room. Kira's also like, uh, so I'm gonna pray? <laughs> Could you not stand right there? <laughs> I don't like anyone watching me during <laughs> prayer. <laughs> Were we talking about the like the ridges on Kira's nose seeming much more subtle lately? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like it it, is a thing. in this scene they they seem like real, real lightly ridgy. I am not here for this 
ridge erasure <laughs> and at all. Shit. It's almost like the pervasive Tom Ridge erasure uh, that we've been experiencing for like the last 10 years. Are you talking about... I mean, whatever happened to that guy? Former Homeland Security <laughs> Secretary Tom Ridge? <laughs> <laughs> you're a big you're, you're a, the very same you're a big fan of the founding secretary of the most hitlery sounding uh, administration in the executive branch of the american government i'm just wondering why no one talks about him anymore uh, <laughs> scandal or not yeah he's probably deciding how he's gonna vote in november or something one person who seems to have already crossed the rubicon as far as like uh, being available to Esri, being, you know, cool with her, given the circumstances, is Quark. Yeah. Uh, who seems sincere. This doesn't seem like an angle at this point, as far as how accepting he is of her. I mean, as any good bartender will be, uh, he is there to listen and to be confided in. Yeah. And uh, he provides great counsel. And also to provide a refund when she doesn't like the drink he mixes for her. Right. Because <laughs> she, she does not care for blood wine in the way that Jidzia did. It smells awful. That's the good stuff. You gotta wonder, like, Cork does seem sincere in this scene, but I sort of wondered if he was just, like, hoping that he, he had a easier person to beat in Tongo that he was cultivating here. It's weird that after so many seasons of understanding dax tech yeah in how she runs as a as a software and hardware combination <laughs> that there are still so many questions about how they integrate because i remain confused about why Ezri is having such a hard time just navigating her world here i mean there was nothing about jed zia's experience that that would suggest it would be that difficult. Yeah. As difficult as Esri is making it seem, right? Well, they have sort of implied that there is a normal process that she did not get the benefit of for this. Right. But also this is a should I stay or should I go now kind of mm -hmm. storyline for her. And she followed Ben Sisko on a lark to uh, Sandface Planet, and, and now she's here. And it seems like there's probably people on Planet Trill who could, like, spend two, three months with her just kind of smoothing some of the rocky patches out, you know? Yeah. She does not have that benefit, and so she's sort of cut loose. Yeah. And she's dependent on people who are, for their own reasons, choosing to keep her at arm's length. They set her up for sympathy, but they do not set her up for quality. At this point. That's such an interesting observation, though, because by setting her up for sympathy, they are sort of by definition setting most of our main cast up to be somewhat less sympathetic and, and right. Worf specifically. And, and, you know, this is a show that has never shied away from making Worf look bad. But <laughs> this scene where he, like, walks in and kind of chicken shits out of being in Quark's bar while Ezri is also there is a terrible look for Worf. It's a terrible look for Worf in a terrible series for Worf, I think. I think Deep Space Nine in totality has not been good for his character. I agree. It's a, it's a damn shame, but we know that he does eventually get to be captain of the Enterprise E. So that's good. The real Roshenko principle <laughs> uh, yet to play out. Hey, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. For making a remark like that. In Cisco's office, we learn uh, that both doors have a bell. <laughs> have we ever seen anyone use this other door? Not that I can recall. I'm sure there is a brand of Trek nerd out there that could tell us a uh, time code and episode where this happened. But the side door is the one that Dax goes through. And uh, I don't know if any man is, is going to have a service entrance to his performance space. I, <laughs> I, would I would think it would not be Benjamin Lafayette Cisco. I didn't want to go through ops in case Worf was there. Those of you watching the live feed will notice that I've uh, just put on a shirt. <laughs> That's going to drive people totally insane. <laughs> sorry. Sorry for you, Ben. Yeah. Um, I'm covering up these sweet nips. I mean, it was very exciting to podcast like that, but 
Uh, all good things must end. I should have done this a long time ago. Esri Dax is threatening to go back to the Destiny, the interestingly named ship uh, <laughs> that that would be her home after after abandoning Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I mean it, this is a kind of a haunted place, and yeah, you know the cold open was all about establishing how haunted it feels, and I know. I know that this is a real thing for people, like friends who have lost uh, partners who just had to move to a different city because the city that they lived in with that partner was just full of memory triggers, you know? Like every corner you walk around is, oh, there's a cafe that we had our first date at, or there's a ice cream store that we went to one time, you know? And uh, I think that's a, a really true feeling. It's one of the reasons we won't do a show in Cleveland again, you know, just to me do bad memories. Yeah. The time we met Bill Tilly. Yeah. The time Adam pooped on stage. <laughs> those great wings. Those, oh, God, those wings. Those are the three the three main things about Cleveland <laughs> that everyone knows. Any any friend of DeSoto knows those three things. That's true. Uh, <laughs> you know what? We should do a trivia game extra episode of Greatest Gen where maybe that's something we could do over Zoom. Wow. We can do Greatest Gen trivia where you and I ask the questions. We have some friends of DeSoto in to try to answer them. I feel like more interesting would be to get friends of DeSoto to come up with the questions and have like Bill To Tilly ask us about our own show. Ask us the trivia questions about our own show and we're competing with each other. That'd be fun. That's a, that is a fun bonus content idea let's do that that'd be really good so look for that on the same video feed that you watch the show uh look for an announcement (laughs) adam when you think about like groups of male friends on deep space nine who do you think of obviously you think of o'brien bashir odo and and garrick you know they're always hanging out together those four so many things in common yeah you know garrick is sitting sitting with his his buddies who he always hangs out with uh in addition to bashir and uh, he's very distracted. They're they're trying to get together a uh, remember the Alamo holodeck game, and Garrick is super distracted because he is he's got he's got like a side hustle going where he earns extra money decoding Cardassian transmissions for uh, the Federation's uh, intelligence service and. He's also really drawn short straw on the seating here in Quark's Bar because the other three characters are getting bumped 0% and Garrick is being bumped 150%. Like, he has got his back to the crowd and it is like like a capacity show at Quark's Bar for some reason. Although... It's like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because, like, this is a table that's out in the middle of everything, and when you cut to the other angle, you see all of this, like, open floor space in in Quark's bar that nobody's using. Must you stand so close? That's a bit harsh. Well, I don't like people looming over me. This is a more difficult scene to make happen than, than one would think. Honestly, it takes a lot to do when you're working with this many extras. Yeah. And you're having them mill around and then actually actually make physical contact with your primary actors. Yeah. But what's what's shitty is that it's clear, like in the way that you were describing, O'Brien and Bashir are only hanging out with Garrick because they want something from him. They aren't really friends, and that makes me sad. Yeah. He's got a lot of uh, pressure on him. He's kind of the Hercules Mulligan of this episode, where he is kind of both a intelligence agent and a tailor. I do not get that reference. That's one of the characters in Hamilton, in, in Act 1 of Hamilton, Adam. Okay. All right. I, d- I need to see I that. I guess I'll confess. Here, here's what's going on. We're in the middle of the Max Fun Drive as we record this episode. You are really going to turn people away by referencing the drive weeks after it's I know, over. But, what are you well, doing? W- the, the hit war movie podcast, Friendly Fire, was... You're still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows we already got... 2,921. New and upgrading members. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great success. Yeah, that was awesome when we got... 2,921. New and upgrading members on Friendly Fire. Thus, the goal that we set for ourselves. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, Her- Hercules Mulligan. The, the 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 story with him was that he wa- worked in a tailor's office. Uh, office atelier. Uh, I don't know. What does it? Where does a tailor work? Store. I, I believe it's a tailor shop, Norm. And uh, and collected secrets from the from the redcoats. Yeah, I'm glad we went back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite character in Hamilton. Fuck you. I feel like Garrick is looking glossy in this scene, and I think it's something that foreshadows situations that happen later for Garrick. He just looks a little dewy mm. and sick. Mm. And it all starts right here. Yeah, this is a classic Garrick is not doing great episode. Uh, kind of reminds <laughs> me of that episode, The Wire. Mm. He's like Tony Sopranoing in this episode. He's in his his what what did we call it? Taylor shop. That's not what we're calling it. That's what it's called. Okay. And uh, Odo comes in and is like trying to say some shit to him, but he can't hear because he's he's Sopranoing out. And he collapses. And it, you know the great thing for Garrick is that every time he collapses, he falls into the arms of Julian Bashir. I wish I had an explanation, but I don't. I don't got time for these fucking attacks. Oh, hello. <laughs> Fancy meeting you here on this bio bed. In the infirmary, uh, Bashir diagnoses this as a claustrophobic attack for which Bashir prescribes a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have any memories, you can't be afraid of small spaces. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll just take this swizzle stick. <laughs> Press it into your spoon and stir. <laughs> he doesn't go up the nose. He goes right through the spoon, huh? Yeah, that's where you go. You know that's a soft spot of the skull. That's what I think. Yeah. Garrick, uh, not reacting super well to this pressure. Not at all. But in a way that's very Garrick-like. He's projecting a lot of angst. Doesn't really want to talk about its true cause. Uh, if only we had a therapist on the station. <laughs> they, could, they could draw him out in a constructive way yeah uh one of the people in the infirmary that he uh wants to talk to and and specifically does not want to talk to in the infirmary wants to talk to out in a big open space which is unfortunately also a public space is captain cisco where garrick says like hey listen you know how i've been doing all of this big secret work of decoding cardassian transmissions that anybody walking around the promenade can find out about right now? Anyways, I'd like you to tell Starfleet Intelligence, the secret dirty tricks arm of the Federation, that I won't be able to continue that work. Also, it smells like piss in there. This is fun to do this on video because I could see you come up with that like halfway through my thing. Uh, <laughs> it's funnier with a shirt on. Yeah. Hey, believe me, I'm not happy about this either. He's not the only person doing bad though, Adam. Yeah, uh, Esri is suffering herself. Yeah. Uh, Esri visits Garrick in his shop and it is clear in this scene that she needs more help than maybe Garrick does. Yeah. They both have a lot of this misplaced guilt and they both agree to work on this going forward. But like knowledge of your problem does not do anything to cure the problem because like after this conversation, you ever have a conversation so good you kind of limp afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> Esri's a little space sick after confiding the reasons for her space sickness. And Garrick feels another bout of claustrophobia just in talking about his claustrophobia. She has a real pedal-to-the-metal approach to therapy, which is like the most amazing moments in therapy for me are always when I, like, arrive at a moment of understanding about myself. Why the wrench? Because fuck him. That's why. And I think that, like, what therapists are doing are, are basically trying to give you little gentle nudges in your you know carrying on about yourself to guide you to to those moments and instead the the way Ezra approaches this is just to be like hey here's your here's what your problem is you're an abusive dad blah 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 <laughs> you know yeah and it's i mean is it any wonder we got to know garrick's dad over the course of several episodes yeah. and we definitely have an understanding of how difficult that must have been in Aubrey, Tain, not the ideal parent in Aubrey, taint a good father 
mm. in uh, mm. in our estimation. <laughs> he he isn't a good father. He isn't a bad father. Is how I mean that. <laughs> it's right in the middle there. Yeah, covered in talc. You, you watched me come up with that one too, huh? Mm. A little less visual. All the people watching the live stream are. Uh, I see. I see them in the chat. They really liked watching you work the math out on that. The, the live stream started moving super fast in that scene. <laughs> I could hardly keep up with all the comments. <laughs> Ezri uh, wobbles her way right into Worf, and Worf is super mean, and. There's no question about whether or not he's mean or not. He is. And if I'm Esri, I would pack up for the destiny. <laughs> and that's what she does in the very next scene. Yeah. She's out of here, man. Um, this, is not a, uh, this is not a safe or cool place for her. And, you know, we talk about this being a bad looks f- for Worf all around. Again, just like really making his problem everyone else's problem. It is extremely hard to marshal empathy for someone who has the benefit of a network of help for them and they fail to recognize all the help that they are getting nor do they appreciate that help and Worf is that kind of character here like he's gone through a traumatic loss everyone has rallied around him and he's a fucking shit to Ezri and he doesn't have to be you are not Jadzia Jadzia died and went to Stovokor. I do not know you, nor do I wish to know you. You really hate seeing him act like this, and and I think that you're right. It's like the gratuity of it that, that really sucks. Don't you remember talking about him early on in Deep Space Nine and being like, this guy's doing unforgivable shit. Like, character-wrecking stuff is what Worf is doing. Yeah. And it's not the first time. Yeah. Right. It's It's kind of the way they wrote for him on this show. Yeah, I mean, I think of all the people who need to grow from the death of Jadzia Dax, it's Worf. And it's so strange to see him just in quicksand of his own pouring. (laughs) And so, like, isolated, too, because, like, we know Worf's family, you know? Like, Worf has super loving parents, a narcissist brother, but a you know, but a loving brother. Not anymore. I'm talking about Paul Sorvino. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Clearly, I do not remember. I cannot help in this particular situation, being that I don't know what you are talking about. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it is not easy to do an episode of Greatest Gen with wet swim trunks, Ben. <laughs> Just gonna say that right now. Oh yeah, this is a good moment in the program just to make that clear. A lot of our viewers are are also podcast creators of their own. Yeah, uh, little tip from me to you: <laughs> keep it dry down there. Anybody that makes their own podcast knows how often you get sexually aroused while recording your podcast. <laughs> yeah, wet trunks. You know, now's a good time to go take a bathroom break. I think everyone knows <laughs> you do not want to go to the bathroom wearing dry trunks. Like, that's just another vacation tip. Go to the bathroom wearing wet trunks. (laughs) That way, when you come out, there's no little wet dot. (laughs) Because your whole trunks are wet. Yeah, yeah. Hey, is that a rule of greatest gen? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. When on that, that's rule that, number sixty-nine. When on vacation, go to the bathroom wearing wet trunks. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Yeah, that's what we're here to do, Adam. Do we need? That's what the show's about. Do we need to pause? Are you are you actually in need of a bathroom break? No, I'm good. You know me. If I needed to, I would just leave. Yeah. I'd leave you to do the show on your own. I've done it before. You're in a vacation rental, and you don't care about peeing on the floor. I'm staring right at a floor drain, brother. <laughs> So in Esri's quarters, Cisco is trying to convince Esri that her work with Garrick has helped because Garrick is suddenly back on mission as an employee, and uh, he has Esri to thank. Yeah. So maybe uh, you stick it out. Yeah. On the station a little bit. That'd be great. It means a lot to me that you want me to stay, but I can't. If I'm her, I'm definitely on my way to the journey. <laughs> it, what's it the called? Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> 
in the replicant <laughs> in the replicant uh, she catches up with Bashir who helps her there's that thing that like douchey dudes do on a date where they like order for the girl and Bashir mm. does this in a way that is actually not douchey because she's having a tough time thinking of something she actually wants to consume at the replicant she keeps placing orders with the computer that uh, conflict with either what she Esri actually likes to eat or what a past host might have uh, approved of or not yeah and Bashir suggests a couple of beverages two finalian toddies when they get together and they like sit down and talk and this is a, an interesting moment because it is an opportunity for Bashir not to be a total creep and instead he chooses to totally lay it on Esri <laughs> super hitting on her and she basically like asks him to knock it off don't flirt with me julian i think you could see this scene in a couple of ways though like i think we're set up for the flirtation here because of a conversation that bashir has with quark at maybe having a second chance yeah at seduction but we're also set up for the innocence of esri dax and her incapacity for for self-knowledge throughout her entire introduction to us. So I was a little caught off guard, as Bashir was, for when Ezri slaps back at him yeah. for, for making a pass, because that seems like someone who is a little more secure in their knowledge of self than I think we had any reason to believe that she was up to this point. Yeah, I think that might be a bias of being two dudes watching this, though, because I feel like women probably get used to being hit on at yeah. a younger age than and i think she like basically reads him and i think he is as surprised as we were though is like crucially like he he is like so disarmed by the fact that she tells him to knock it off that he like becomes a human for a second yeah if you're stationed in a place without weather and you're wearing long sleeves forever <laughs> Do you feel like you're always going to be drinking the hot drinks? Because they're they're drinking a couple of hot toddies here. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like you're never getting iced beverages on this show. Yeah, when nobody ever goes for a frappuccino. <laughs> I think you could understand production-wise why you'd never want to go in that direction. Oh yeah, ice but ice on a, TV a, shows is is a war crime. <laughs> It always floating at the bottom of the glass. It doesn't make any sense. Ice floating oh, liquid. It does not sink. Oh. The condensation make the table wet. <laughs> Why does this drink not have beads of water running down it? Are you too worried about the continuity? You are coward. Here's the thing that probably pops the Mylar balloon of seduction entirely <laughs> that you and I are arguing over, which is at the end of this Bashir scene, Ezri tells Bashir that if Worf hadn't come around, it would have been him. Yeah. What? This feels like Jadzia Dax peeking through the mask of Ezri and like taking a, a shot at Bashir. Yeah. Like uh, the sort of shot that, that she loved to take and sort of fucking him up and rattling his cage. The sort of like hostile flirtation that like I know everyone has has run into at some point where it's like, you're you're doing this, but we can't do anything. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. And it's a scene that includes a scene where she reaches across the table and puts her hand on his hand and then the camera racks focus to Worf on the second level of the promenade like glaring at them. He drags a thumb over his own throat <laughs> as he looks down at them. Yeah, they don't notice, uh, but they do get a, uh, a emergency message that they've got to run to one of the airlocks where Garrick is... Uh, in a, a total fugue state and trying to uh, bust his way through the glass into space. The scene made me wonder uh, how often this has got to happen on a station with with a mixed population going through all all kinds of their own shit. Yeah. You got to lock those blast doors. <laughs> that last shot in the scene where he's like wailing on the door with his fists and it, it cuts to the exterior with the... 
you know, the rest of the station reflected in the glass, I thought was really great. Really scary. It's the counterpoint to Picard's exterior gazing window shot, I thought. Right. It makes you feel how how present death is for him. We get that shot so rarely in all of Star Trek, I feel like. Yeah. It's always interior looking out. It's so rarely exterior looking in. It's. I can only think of a handful of times in hundreds of episodes that we get it like that. It's because it's so expensive to do because you have to yeah. simulate the reflections in the glass and stuff. Like, yeah. They, yeah. they nailed it in this moment and I, I thought it was like maybe my favorite moment in the episode. After the commercial... Uh, Ezric, that's that would be the disgusting transporter accident version of Ezri and Garrett that, uh, that you know Captain Janeway would fucking murder uh, without any sort of compunction. Ezri is in the hollow suite with Garrick, and uh, she's teaching him some basic breathing techniques that uh, that 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 veteran meditators will know well, like you and me, like. This is a big part of getting calm yeah. in an uncalm time. Yeah. I just do the breathing exercise on my watch. Uh, and Garrick is embarrassed. He's embarrassed at the scene that he made, the banging on the door, the screaming and so forth. Yeah. It was it was bad. But Esri is confident that uh, together they can manage these outbursts. It's interesting. I was thinking the other day about how, like, when you sneeze or cough you have to like say like excuse me because in the past it was like so stigmatized that it was like oh like did you just let a demon out of your body like cover your mouth (laughs) you know and i wonder if mental health outbursts will follow the same course eventually where when you have a breakdown like garrick is having a few times in this episode it's like a little like, oh, like I, I say this little phrase and like the embarrassment of it dissipates immediately, you know, because like nobody is like super ashamed to sneeze these days, like maybe during COVID or whatever. But like you sneeze and everybody's like, OK, yeah, we all do it. It's not a big deal, you know. Right. I, it made me like wonder if there was like a way to like sci-fi future imagine a way for a character to have a, a breakdown like this that wasn't as stigmatized as it, as it is in this episode. If you don't mind, I'd like to sit here and be alone for a while. I mean, one of the only production languages this show has to communicate the idea of higher consciousness is pan flute. <laughs> because like the mere mention of anything associated with this by Esri introduces that music bed yeah. to the conversation, which is too bad, yeah. right? There aren't a lot of options, though. Like, I'm sport-fucking the scene critically, but I don't have a better idea. Yeah, yeah. Like Maybe one of those, like, like wooden wooden things that, like, you scrape with a stick. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe that would be a nice It looks like a, a, nice f- music a frog. Bed. It's carved yeah. to look like a frog. How about a, how about a shaker? <laughs> yeah, what other... What other instruments could be used here? A marimba? Whenever I'm struggling mentally, I think of castanets. <laughs> uh, in the infirmary, Bashir has removed a piece of shrapnel from Quark's ear. Oof. Just to give us a little interstitial. Yeah. And then for some reason, Worf enters and actually assaults Bashir. Yeah. In his own workplace. Like arm up against Bashir's neck, Bashir up against the wall. I was kind of surprised that Worf didn't have like a mechleth in his back belt to to just like cut Bashir open in this moment. Bashir should have fucking shot him <laughs> with a key fob phaser. I think it's messed up. Yeah. As you know, Commander Chekhov, no one can fire an unauthorized phaser aboard a starship. Really gives you a lot to think about. <laughs> What I was thinking was how, you know, like so often forced perspective gives you the sense of different sizes of things where it's not real. Yeah. But worse fucking meat mittens against Bashir's head. Yeah. You can totally tell that Michael Dorn's hands are fucking giant yeah. compared to Alexander Siddick's head. <laughs> like that, they are very differently sized people. I know my size is alarming. Did I ever tell you I, I, uh, I met... Mike Tyson in Las Vegas, and I shook his hand. No. Mike Tyson is not a tall person. I think he's shorter than I am, and I don't think it's close, but his hands are almost indescribably giant. Wow. Like, having his hand envelop mine was a sensation that I'll always remember. It's like, I couldn't describe it. It's His hands are so big. He's a terrifying person. Yeah. 
yeah. in many ways. Anyway, uh, Mike Tyson meeting me was a lot like Worf <laughs> meeting Dr. Bashir in this scene. Not comparable. <laughs> and, and much like that time, Worf probably doesn't remember this happened. If you dishonor Jetsia's memory, I would kill you where you stand. Honestly, this scene makes me think, fuck Worf. I don't know if I can come back from this on, on Worf's character. And I'm being really sincere about that. I think this was super fucked up. I think it's within Bashir's right to press whatever charges you need to press. Worf shouldn't have done this for any reason. Worf is super angry, and uh, you would think that he would be less angry given all of the getting Jadzia into Stovacor stuff he has engaged in recently. She's gone, right? Yeah. But she isn't, and that's... And that's at the core of this episode. That's the essential conflict. Is she or isn't she gone? And that goes for you too, Ferengi. Later, uh, Ezri drops into Garrick's shop to check up on him. What is this called? An atelier? I'm never going to call it that. Tailor room? It's a step-down tailor shop. House of Garrick? The thing is, when you take a garment to Garrick's for alterations, you can't be sure that he's not going to do Hulkamania-style <laughs> alterations to what you've given him. Because when she walks in, he is like positively... like tearing the stitching out of a thing yeah he is really cranked up and i think that this is where he really like does his damnedest to push Ezri away like he 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 throws everything at her that he can think of like a uh you're not a dex you're you're barely anything you think you think you can help me you can't even help yourself i mean look at you you're pathetic he's fucking rip shit pissed he does not want help thrust upon him we're finished and you're lucky if i don't break your fucking face in fifty thousand pieces it's interesting in sequence you get two extreme outbursts by hurting people and you feel so differently about those outbursts and those characters at least i did yeah, because Worf is engaged in physical violence and Garrick is engaged in emotional violence. Which is my preferred style of violence every time. <laughs> that's, that's why Garrick is still good by you. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will go out on the emotional battlefield and I will warf you. I will grab your ankle and just flip you upside down every time. Morn, morn, morn. Sweet morn, morn, morn. You need everybody? Morn, so Ezri puts in for her resignation off the heels of this, and she goes and sits in Cisco's office to uh, to tender that, and he's like pretty incredulous. That's the way you feel. I don't like Cisco encouraging a medical procedure either. He's like, uh, he points at her. He's like, why don't you get that thing taken out? And <laughs> if, if it's so upsetting to you, <laughs> what the fuck, Cisco? <laughs> I think he's still suffering from heat stroke. Not everybody has the belly for ankylosaur, so. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you'd feel better without one. One piece of trivia that spills out here, uh, unlike that ankylosaur, is that Ezri and the ankylosaur would die if they were to be separated, which means this is the last stop for that ankylosaur. That's it. And he's like nagging her yeah, he's in like, a weird way. Yeah, like go go live in the cave where the ankylosaurs live and Yeah, maybe you can be the ankylosaur washer. <laughs> like they, they need they need some sponge bathers in that in that fucking pond. Yeah. I can always use a good washer. Maybe maybe you'd be happier in the dark. <laughs> I feel like if I w- if I lived in the Star Trek universe, that would be my happiest job. God, it does sound nice, right? right? It's cool. It's it's quiet, it's calm, there's not a lot of people around. I mean, the pan flutes are not quiet. It's probably a real thing with the pan flutes. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's like pan flute mariachi bands that come through. and Right. There's the big pan flute mariachi that plays the bass pan flute. <laughs> there's one in every group. Yeah, yeah. It's like a barbershop quartet of four different sizes of pan flute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He negs her before dismissing her in that in that way that Picard used to dismiss Wesley, right? Mm-hmm. You don't deserve the Dux symbiont. Quite frankly, you, you don't, don't deserve, deserve to wear, wear that uniform. uniform. He's not wrong. She hasn't been a great Starfleet officer at any point up until now. She's fucking barfing all over the runabout. She's so new. She just doesn't even know how to do it yet. You can't barf on the runabout. So she's called it quits and she 
her first stop is go uh, apologize to Garrick and say like, "Hey, I'm out of here. I'm 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 heading home." And he initially thinks that she's talking about going back to the destiny, and like the destiny is heading to a system that he has some inside knowledge about based on the transmissions he's been decoding, and. You know, she's talking to him about like, oh yeah, like, well, it's it's great that you've decoded those transmissions because you know they won't be heading into uncharted waters, and he really starts to lose it again. All those Cardassians are going to die because of me. He can never react in an on an even keel to news about the war in this episode. Anytime you bring up the Calendra system, he's going to be pretty upset. Everyone knows it's the system that. Uh, meteors go into and then on the other side very few come out mm, yeah. if any i mean if the colander system is working right yeah it's gonna absorb all of them well it's a, it, it catches all the rocky bits but but the water drains right through yeah yeah that's right yeah the moisture is going to pass right through that system yeah what becomes clear as he goes into a fit is that he has become very preoccupied with all of the Cardassian deaths he has been engendering by helping the Federation in their war effort. A thing up until now not given much voice to, yeah. to be honest. This is Andrew Robinson's Far Beyond the Stars moment, I think. Yeah. I think you can see Emmy submission subtitle <laughs> in this scene. Yeah. All I've done is to pave the way for their annihilation. Because... Andrew Robinson is fucking hitting dingers in this scene. Yeah, he feels that he has betrayed his people. I've abandoned my people. (laughs) I've drunk their milkshake. (laughs) And he collapses on the floor. And this is like, this is the thing that he couldn't even admit in a therapeutic context when he was, I think he wasn't even admitting it to himself. I think that's the implication. This is deep and dark, Ben. (laughs) But when you're a therapist and you move a person to this kind of confrontation as an insight where like they go 10 out of 10, yeah, you got to feel pretty good about that, right? Did pretty good work today. <laughs> Finally got Adam Pranica to ugly cry on the couch. That's what I'm saying. I think you go home from work that day feeling like you did a good job. Yeah. Got to get a new couch though. <laughs> It's very wet. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, Adam, you're not supposed to go to therapy in a wet bathing suit. <laughs> you know what? If if I didn't go to therapy in a wet bathing suit, I wouldn't go at all. <laughs> so in the infirmary, in the aftermath of Garrick's fit, they kind of come to some understanding between each other. Garrick realizes that the, the deaths of Cardassians at... The hands of the Federation, aided by him, has really been gnawing at him. Something, something that has really tortured him that he didn't, he hadn't articulated to himself. That tension between like being of a people, wanting to make the people better, yeah, and also being hostile towards that same people. I think this is probably a feeling that a lot of people have in in contemporary society. Like when you're when you belong to a place and you want to better that place, it doesn't mean you hate the place. Yeah. And like early in the episode I was watching it and I was like, god, this is like such a facile depiction of what therapy is like cuz she just like leapt to a conclusion about what he is going through and announced it. No one's even making a couch wet in this episode. But this moment really felt authentic to me like that yeah. That like saying something out loud for the first time that has le- that like crystallizes trouble that you have been experiencing and helps you understand it is like such a real thing, and I'm sure that it's available to people in lots of different contexts, but it's primarily something I've experienced through therapy. And early in the episode, like, and I think you have to forgive Esri for being like young and green for the way she treated it early on, but like this breakthrough feels real and momentous and it feels like it helps both her and Garrick uh, understand themselves and the place that they can play in, you know, their lives. It's a big scene for Esri. It's a big scene for Garrick. And the next scene is a big scene for Worf because 
Ezri is still committed to the destiny, uh, which is not to be confused with the journey. It's a totally different ship. Yeah. And Worf walks in. This was the scene, Ben, that as soon as Worf walked in, I was like, <laughs> redemption. Fucking earn it, Worf. Because anything less than you ugly crying here isn't going to be enough. What I wanted to see was Michael Dorn do an Andrew Robinson break. Like, I wanted to see him go all the way. Yeah. And unfortunately, the best you can ask for from Worf is a Worf-style apology. I am not certain that I have treated you the way that Jadzia would have wanted What's so frustrating about him is that, like, Worf gets the understanding and the latitude from everyone else around him because he is, he's othered. Yeah. Like, he's the only Klingon. He's the only one that goes through what he goes through. Yeah, you can be, you can be as weird as you want because you're different from us. But it's not fucking fair that he isn't asked to do the same. Because he should. Hmm. He should specifically in this scene, and he doesn't. And I think that his unrepentance here yeah. only solidifies how terribly his stock is cratered as a character. Like, this was the moment that he could have pulled it out, and he didn't. And I don't, I don't know if I can get with him anymore. I kind of feel like that's intentional. I feel like the episode is written toward that, though. You think I'm being manipulated? Not manipulated, but, like, I think that Worf is a character that, like, is, is kind of fucked no matter what choice he makes at all times he's he's between worlds he can never be fully klingon he can never not be klingon he's sort of russian also yeah he's he's, he's a dab russian he's always trying to fuck with elections but also like the reason i think that is that like this scene goes the way it does and then the next scene is Azri being elevated to uh lieutenant and wharf who is the obvious choice of the person to put the pip on her god is not the person that does it you are so fucking right about that in a weird way i respect that it's not like because this is a writer's room that usurped expectations in that way but yeah you're making me wait for a redemption that i'm not sure is going to come yeah i don't know if it's coming either i i'm not sure if they're writing toward a redemption or or what but they definitely seem to uh make this a worth was the bad guy episode. The feeling that we're meant to feel in this scene is that Ezri is part of the family now. Yeah. She gets the dinner invite from Kira and Odo. Yeah. Jake declares to his dad that he wants to <laughs> he wants to kick it to her. She gets some Jake gaze. Quark is still afraid of Worf, seeing him being nice to her, yeah. which is which is fun, and Garrick is happy about the turnout. The final scene is Worf raising a cup to her and that is meant to signify a truce an emotional truce maybe yeah they they come to an emotional truce but did you come to a decision about whether you liked this episode adam you really want to do this here now okay okay let's do it do it i think whether or not you like the episode is going to depend on whether or not you like how the writers write esri and at this point, it is still writing her for one note. This is a character that's not in tune yet. Yeah. Like the permanently furrowed brow, the constant confusion. Like she's fucking Marsha Bradying all around Deep Space Nine. And I'm wondering it's ever if it's ever going to reveal something strong and competent. Because it's weird. Like when you're introduced to characters on, on Star Trek, they're often competent as a baseline <laughs> and then their idiosyncrasies are built on top of a base level of competence yeah and what you get with Ezri Dax is she's not very good at her job she's f- bumble fucking her way through therapy for someone else I wouldn't depend on her for anything at yeah. this point and and what the show is doing is making us root for her because we're, we feel sorry for her and that's such a weird place to be introduced to a character from right like that's not how star trek introduces characters she's a very season one feeling character in a season seven season that is a strange salad dressing mixture isn't it yeah i'm not laying this at nicole DeBoer's feet at all i think this is a writer problem 
it's a it's a weird decision to say okay we need another main cast character who's it gonna be it's gonna be dax 2.0 knowing that you have one season left why don't you just kill dax just kill dax just let her go Especially if this is what you're going to do with grief or or like quasi grief. Yeah. I don't feel like this is ably being handled right now as a as a conflict. It's interesting to hear you say that cuz this was kind of the episode that you prayed for at the end of the last episode. Right. Right, the one where we confront the weirdness yeah. about things. Yeah. But the confrontation I don't think is it's too superficial. Maybe it's one of those things where like like servicing the fan, like giving us what we want is not actually the right path for the narrative. Yeah, I mean, do you think this is servicing the fan? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm just saying like these are questions we want. I don't wanted. feel like this is servicing at all. I'm I'm standing here in wet swim trunks. Hmm. Well, I've, uh, this I've, doesn't feel good at all. I've come to completion myself, so I, <laughs> I, I, my trunks are wet for a totally different reason. <laughs> Gross. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the old inbox? Yeah, I'm going to fill my trunks with those. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Wow. The message goes like this. What the hell happens to Doctor Who anyway? If you have ever wondered this, try The Doctor's Watcher, a podcast where a friend of DeSoto watches Doctor Who and tells his friend all about it, starting with The First Doctor. Oh. You know, I might have a problem with that doctor <laughs> depending on what his preferred beverage is. Bashir is the fourth doctor at the very earliest. Ben, Dr. Bashir is the number one doctor, obviously. Yeah. He's, the, he's the number one doctor, but he's not the first doctor. Learn about the technology of pronouns, whether it's space vampires and what a Dalek is. It'll take more time than just watching Doctor Who yourself, but you can do other things while you listen. That's how podcasts work. <laughs> the Doctor's Watcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And here's the call to action, Ben. Subscribe to The Doctor's Watcher on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow. Ben, I'm not a, I'm not a Doctor Who person, but... You're not a when I went to When I went to the last uh, Comic-Con in Seattle, you know there's like a main stage at these cons... Mm-hmm. We've experienced this before. You go in there and you see like the seated area and there's like 10,000 people that could sit in there. Oh, yeah. And and it's very rare that all of those seats are full. I wandered into the Emerald City Comic Con seated area once when it was a Doctor Who related interview. Totally full. Wow. There was like 50,000 people in there for Doctor Who speaking a language I didn't understand. Like, I understand Doctor Who is very popular. Not a language I speak. I'm, I respect anyone who's into it uh, to that degree. Uh, if you want to get into it, maybe try the Doctor's Watcher as a as a way to do that. Yeah, it's a good on-ramp. I've never seen a single frame of Doctor Who. I tried watching Doctor Who from season one, episode one. Pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I need to start in the middle. People, people tell me that. Yeah. Start at the middle and work your way out with Doctor Who. I don't know how anyone could do that. I mean, Star Trek TNG is perfect. From episode one. I think if you started in season three, you'd probably be a lot happier with TNG. We have another priority one message here, Adam. It's uh, from Nick, and it's to Nicole. It goes like this. Hi, Nicole. Congratulations on catching up on the podcast. Even if I can't always keep up with the three-dimensional tapestry of inside jokes, my sincere thanks goes out to these two idiots for bringing you... So much laughter over all those episodes. Hey, Nick, fuck you. <laughs> it sounds like Nick is not necessarily a listener, but Nicole is. So so maybe Nick is like a, a casual and, and Nicole is more hardcore greatest gen listener. Yeah, which makes Nicole the cool one. Yeah. Sorry, Nick, you're not the cool one. Thought you, hmm. I know you thought you were, but you're not. Tapestry of jokes is right. Yeah, it's a, it's a rich tapestry, if I may. <laughs> It's a wet tapestry if you're wrapped around my midsection right now. <laughs> Ugh. Trunks, still pretty wet. Ugh. 
All right, Adam. If people want to get Priority One messages, they can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. They'll tell you all about how to do it there. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! It happens during that uh, Esri Dax pinning ceremony. Uh-huh. It's Jake's moment at the party. Here's the thing. like, <laughs> You don't make a pass at someone in front of your dad. Yeah. Like, you don't check with your dad to see if it's cool to flirt. And for some reason, Jake suggests that... Esri Dax might be a good romantic pairing for him. And here's the thing. While he may be wrong (laughs) in that moment, if you are on the creative team for this show, I think it is a very fun idea for a conflict for Worf to be against Jake. Because earlier on in the episode, Worf, there's the suggestion that Worf is intimidated by Ben Sisko. And tell me how delicious it would be if Jake were somehow the one grabbing for Ezri's hand instead of Dr. Bashir. Yeah. Because there is no fucking way Worf would throw Jake up against the wall the way he did Dr. Bashir. What would happen then? I think you could get three great episodes about that mini arc where Worf is like, I can't fuck up Jake Sisko. What am I going to do? How am I going to get one over on Jake Sisko while he's busy seducing Ezri Dax? Give us that storyline. Yeah. Jake's my drunk Shimoda here for just that that delicious tease. Yeah. What about you? Uh, Also, same scene. There is a Bajoran guy in the background of one of the shots talking to Morn and clearly doing that thing that sometimes you have to do at a party of like, like recognizing somebody else and being like, sorry, hold that thought, Morn. Uh, I see a friend over there. I just want to catch up with them before they leave. Yeah. And uh, he's just a background actor. I love the idea of a background actor coming up with a bit of business like that. Like, what if Morin is fucking boring as hell to talk to? I don't want to live in a world where that might be the truth. (laughs) I want to hear about all his stomachs. I want him to spit something into my empty glass and have it not be disgusting. I want it to be valuable. Yeah. Fuck. That'd be nice, right? You have a good conversation with Morin, you're going to get something in your glass that you're actually going to want. Indeed, Adam. We've got some business to attend to here. This is your role today on the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. Ben, we're currently on square 52. Two squares away is another Quark's bar. This one, you know, today's episode, sort of a Quark's bar of our own making. Right. I don't know. I'm ready to do this again. This is pretty fun. Ben, what can you tell us about the next episode, though? The next episode is season seven, episode four. Take me out to the hollow suite. Fuck. (laughs) Really? Determined to prove the superiority of his race. Mm. I love a sentence that starts like that. Comma. (laughs) A Vulcan Starfleet officer challenges Cisco and his crew to a baseball game. (laughs) Is that how racial challenges are levied? Hmm. Tell you what, if if a... if the evocation of fuck Bokai doesn't happen in this episode, I might quit the show. I think we have to refund everybody their max fun contributions if fuck Bokai doesn't come up in the next episode. Favorite greatest gen cosplay was fuck Bokai in Toronto. Yeah, that was great. Full uniform. In the, in the soccer parlance, the full kit. <laughs> she was wearing uh, the whole baseball uniform, F Bokai on the back, Brought a bat into <laughs> into the Great Hall in Toronto. Yeah, uh, number sixty nine. She came in through the back to get the to get the stick in. A uh, friend of friend of a friend of Desoto who we have uh, loved and appreciated for years, Alexandra Bowser. Uh, she came in with uh, just one of the OG FODs. Uh, really sent a message with the fuck Bokai cosplay. Totally. Uh, awesome. Ben, I'm gonna roll. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. And uh, I really want a two. 
I'm, I'm going to see about calling my shot. Okay. I see you uh, pointing your baseball bat, not to the not to the outfield, not to the bleachers, but to a, a point in the infield much closer to you. It looks about like a two that you're pointing at. Ben, uh, like a poor marksman, I always miss the target. Uh, I have rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts us one square past the Quark's bar and one square in in front of the looking at each other during. So it's going to be a regular episode, but here's the thing about Greatest Gen. Mm. You never know which episode's going to be a Quark's bar uh, because one of us might be uh, at an Airbnb. (laughs) trying to have some chill hangs uh well that is gonna be a fun episode whether or not we do any drinking to celebrate it adam i'm looking forward to it and uh i want to uh say thanks to all the folks that support the show at maximumfun.org slash join also want to say thanks to our buddy bill tilly who we put on the payroll this year bill tilly now runs the greatest trek social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, we really appreciate all of the great work he's done. He's really made those fun accounts to follow. Lots of uh, lots of hijinks, lots of like birthdays of beloved characters yeah. that we've talked about from the shows, uh, jokes, trading cards, all the fun stuff. Sometimes you get into like you turn a social arrangement into a, a professional arrangement, and it. It's a real mistake. Mm-hmm. I think we ran into this with Rob's. Yes, totally. But, yeah, but, we hate him. But now. like with, but with Bill, it hasn't been that way. Like he's someone that we barely knew, and we decided to pay him <laughs> <laughs> without knowing him, and he's doing a great job. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love it too. Um, we Here's have- the thing about Bill Tilly is that I think we probably trust Brie Belke more. Yes. Like Brie Belke blessed the yeah. hire, and that's that's what made it okay with us. Brie Belke co-signed Bill Tilly's loan, <laughs> and uh- <laughs> which means when when Bill Tilly scandalizes, it's it's actually Brie Belke's Yeah, fault. yeah. You can you can we can send the bill to her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also got to thank our buddy Ed Mercusia, who makes all the original music for our program. Uh, he has a great cooking channel on YouTube. If you search Adam Mercusia, uh, you can uh, learn some great recipes. I, I made his shrimp scampi the other night. Uh, uses celery leaves instead of parsley. It's fucking delicious. You fertilize the dirt, not the tomatoes, when you're growing tomato plants. That's the thing about Adam Ragusea. Yeah. He's always got kind of a twist. Flip, the whole thing. flip it on its head. Yeah. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which will be a lot drier than this episode Mm. so much drier like in the shorts area you mean dry shorts maybe a little bit of powder yeah gotta tighten this up (laughs) looking forward to it make it so MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.